收到以上信息的世界，请注意：你们收到的信息是地球上代表革命正义的国家发出的。这之前，你们可能已经收到了来自同样方向的信息，那是地球上的一个帝国主义超级大国发出的。这个国家与地球上的另一个超级大国争夺世界霸权，企图把人类历史拉向倒退。希望你们不要听信他们的谎言，站在正义的一方，站在革命的一方。Welcome to Rehydrate. This is a podcast about Liu Xixin's three-body problem and the entire Remembrance of Earth's Past series and the upcoming Netflix show, as well as about other books. This is season one, episode eight, Bugs. Where we will be discussing chapters twenty-seven through thirty-five of the three-body problem, which is the end of the book. We were、uh, reading the entire series together in episode-sized chunks in preparation for the upcoming TV series and for our own enjoyment, really. And we're currently finishing up the three-body problem. Each host has a different level of experience with the series. I'm Jim. I have read the three-body problem. And now everybody else has as well. Hi, I'm Dan. I've read the entire series multiple times. Hi, I'm Tim. I've only、uh, read up to the、uh, current week's chapters. And this is Mean. I too have read up to the current week's chapters, and I also co-host the Rehydrate Spoiler Cast with Dan. So I've had the next two books and the entire series spoiled for me as well. And I'm also starting trying to start up a new series、um, that I'm going to be starting interviewing people about the the entire series and their perspectives on it.、Um, so if you're interested in having a conversation, you know it should be、uh, low stress, just a couple people talking about you know the perspectives on the series and things that you like, things you didn't like, how you got into the series.、Uh, feel free to contact us at, at any of the contact methods on the rehydrate space. And we also like to talk about our season two plan. So, as Jim said, we are finishing up the three body problem, and so we're going to be taking a break from the Remembrance of Earth Past series for the next season. And we'll be reading "The Long Way to a Small Angry Planet" by Becky Chambers. But we will return to the Dark Forest in an upcoming season. Please check rehydrates.space for reading list updates. And now we can start talking about some follow up items from these chapters.、Um, so, last episode, I believe, I mean, said that. You know, he felt bad for the guy who got the message from Yao Wenjie. I forgot what, what exactly he said, but but now we have some perspective from the actual Trisolarian listener. So I tried not to say anything during the actual episode. Was that sort of in line with what you were thinking? I mean, like, do you still feel bad for that guy? Yeah, I I, I still do. I I didn't expect to get their perspective, but I'm glad we did. And yeah, it was. I still feel bad that he was trying to save Earth and. He ended up sending the message to the one wrong person. The other、uh, follow-up I had was、uh, something that Tim brought up a couple episodes ago, and you know he's saying that like, "Oh, I'll be disappointed. There's actually an anti-science plot." When it actually is, albeit a very scientific <laughs> anti-science plot. But I, I guess Tim, like, what, what were your thoughts on on the overall? Were you actually disappointed with an anti-science plot? I, I, I don't recall exactly what I said about、uh, being in. Anti-science plot, but I, I I don't know if I read it as an anti. How do you mean an anti-science plot? I mean the Trisolarians are trying to block science, scientific progress from you know from Earth, right? So 
all of the stuff that they did to kind of interfere with the humans were actually like trying to block science, right? So in a long way, if you, in, a, in a way you think about it, like it is an anti-science plot. I think it's like we are talking about it. It was trying to think of, you know, like more traditional uh, anti-science stuff, you know, from you know, right-wingers or that kind of thing you know, that we, we thought about. But like when you said it, it kind of piqued my interest a little bit because like that is actually the kind of the point of the book, but not in the traditional way. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, the, well, I mean, I guess we'll get into it, you know, when we kind of like discuss it as a whole. Yeah, I mean, it, a lot happened in these last chapters, um, you know, so, uh, yeah, I mean, it took me like, no, I wouldn't say I was, I'm disappointed at, at, at all in that, like, I mean, I, I guess by anti-science, I guess, uh, do you mean, do, do you think, well, you think of a human anti-science plot, Tim? I, I think that was the impression I got at the time. It's just like a bunch of like humans that are just stirring up anti-science stuff oh yeah yeah mm-hmm. i mean yeah yeah i guess yeah if 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 the whole okay I, I yeah i remember now okay so if you're saying yeah like i like i am like not disappointed like i'm happy or uh like i was more interested in this than this just being like a uh a human instigated kind of uh human iconoclast i you know anti-science like uh like plot or conspiracy or so i mean it kind of is that in a way but obviously like yeah has uh uh, a more interesting dimension beyond it. So no, no, not at all. Like, yeah, not at all disappointed in that. I thought you, when he said anti-science, I thought you're saying that like, uh, like the author's like, uh, you know, perspective is like anti-science or that like he's, uh, you know, like taking a sort of anti-scientific, uh, position here with this plan. And I was a little bit confused there because I didn't read that at all yeah. from this. Um, yeah. I think early on, like the, in some of the chapters they were talking about, like, the, you know, they're trying to dissuade people from science and like, like, so, um, yeah, like mistrust in, in science. And I think that's kind of what, you know, what kind of triggered that. But it, like, that is on purpose by the Trisolarians, right? right. <laughs> to yeah. Try to, to try to stop scientific progress. Well, yeah, because at the time I didn't really quite, I, I still, yeah, I wasn't even convinced that the Trisolarians weren't a thing. Like, is this just some big, yeah, like were the Trisolarians some big ruse or uh, some big concoction by this, like, human conspiracy group, you know? Yeah. I'm glad that didn't turn out to be the case. Um, as, uh, goofy as I think the Trisolarians are in a way and this book is, but, uh, yeah. Okay. Um, well, let's get into the summary of chapters 27 to 35. It's a lot of, uh, a lot of content here. So we start out with a uh, Yewen Jie telling us the backstory of the danger of Mike Evans, a self-described pan species communist billionaire that starts the UTO with Ye. In order to continue to receive the messages from Chai Solaris, he built a second Red Coast base on an oil tanker renamed Judgment Day. With the collected messages from Chai Solaris on board Judgment Day, Dasher comes up with a demonic plan to, to obtain them before they can be destroyed by the crew. Codename Operation Kujung, he uses Wang Liao's flying blade nanomaterial stretched across the Panama Canal to slice the ship into slices, killing the unaware crew. Dasher's plan is successful and via the messages were given a Trisolarian perspective on the earlier events of the book. The original message that Ye Wenjie sent is received by a pacifist listener who warns her not to respond to ensure that the Earth is not conquered by the members of his species. However, Ye's response ultimately gives away the location of the Earth, and the Trisolarians get to work on developing a faster way of communication. After a few, few false starts, they develop a way to unfold an 11-dimensional proton into two dimensions, allowing them to imprint a computer circuitry onto its surface. 
before folding back into 11 dimensions and sending what they call sophons at light speed towards Earth. Once the sophons reach Earth, they're able to communicate via quantum entanglement across great distances. Since the Trisolarians are worried about the speed of human scientific progress, they task the sophons to sabotage and block human scientific progress by interfering with particle accelerators and causing other miracles. One of the miracles is the ability to display messages directly onto retinas, the method that, that the Trisolarians use to convey their feelings towards the insignificant human race. Your bugs. Finally, we end with Ye returning to the long-forgotten site of Red Coast Base. Now rusty and covered in vines, upon seeing the sunset, she whispers, my sunset and sunset for humanity. I wish she had ended with saying, truly, this is a three-body problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I thought I thought that um, on reread, this, this is definitely worth rereading because... The pacing of this book, you know, I, I realized in retrospect is that there's just most of the information, most of the plot information happens in like 30 really dense pages. And uh, yeah, it, it's it's like it's definitely worth reading twice because I the first time I got to it, I was like, I was like, wow, that so much is happening all over the place. I got to keep on reading and see what, what's happening without really like absorbing all that much of it, but yeah, that that is that is quite quite the pacing there. It's it's the opposite of uh, again. This is my opinion. Someone like Neil Stevenson, who like delivers like all sorts of exciting stuff for like the first eighty percent, and then just makes you regret reading everything for the like the last twenty percent of the book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The first time I read the the chapter, I actually like reread the Project Sofan chapter like immediately after I read it because like what just happened <laughs> like there's like so much stuff and there's so much complicated stuff and and it's all interesting but it's like really dense and yeah i think like the pacing maybe you know for the first book definitely has some issues like one of the issues i had also was about evans you know they kind of throw him in at last minute and they don't really flesh out his character that much and he seems really critical to the entire plot of every like he's kind of a central figure right like as central to all the events happening is yeah when maybe even more well maybe not more but as central right because he, he he's the does the bulk of the communication after the initial contact so i wish like they would have kind of introduced him a little bit earlier and, and kind of fleshed him out a little bit more uh, it's basically just one chapter or you know two chapters with him and kind of giving his his ideas yeah i mean jim kind of echoed my like you know like initial reaction to this and like upon reading uh like some reviews of the book you know like a lot of people have said the same thing that it is sort of like better on reread but yeah i mean it is really uneven like uh, you like you're a dump, you know like so much of it is like dumped on you in the uh in the final chapters here that um like i'm glad that i know it's a trilogy you know so i, I can obviously because i've read enough you know sci-fi trilogy you know or fantasy trilogies and you know where it's like i kind of expect the first book kind of set things up or be a setup you know for the for the overall plot yeah i mean if i were if this was just a standalone book like and i didn't have the expectation of there being a sequel or anything like that i would think that you know like i, I would be kind of really unsatisfied with it personally just with so much of you know like so much interesting stuff being kind of like dumped at the end there and just kind of like spinning its wheels in a lot of ways, you know, for so much of the book. Again, knowing that it's a trilogy and reading plenty of books like this and they were kind of like maybe paced like this before, I'm more amenable to it. But so, so what are some of the things that you'd like to see, like that, that you'd like to see more of and, and like see expanded on for the rest of the series? 
Well, obviously, like I don't, you know, I don't know where it's going to go. You know, like this, if this like continues a, um, I mean, I guess I'm just curious to see what the interplay between these two, you know, like does it skip ahead 400 years? Um, you know, is 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 the plot of this, uh, you know, interstellar struggle between the humans and the Trisolarans? Um, do we get to actually see what the Trisolarans, you know, these Trisolarans like um, expounded, you know, expanded upon in greater detail? So you like actually like are there character, you know, more characters than just like the listener? Is there, uh, I you know, I guess it's just like what's the interplay between humans and the Trisolarans? How is that going to play out? Yeah, so I'll say like the next book picks up almost immediately after this book and, you know, it continues. I'm not going to give too much away, but yeah, I think a lot of it is based off of the understanding that humans have now. I think like they they touched about this at the end of the book too, about how now there's these ever-present listeners, you know, and no no communication is ever secret, right? Because the, the Sophons are always, you know, omnipresent and can listen to any conversation and replay it back to Tribes Flares. There's a lot of time spent on on the reaction to that. I'll, I'll say that. And I think way back uh, about the pacing, way back when we were uh, discussing a book to read for this podcast, uh, Amin posted some review of the three body problem and he quoted a part that said, pacing, very slow. So he posted an emoji expressing discontent of some sort. What do you think about that now, Amin? Um, I stand by that. I, I thought, yeah, I, I thought, I thought the storylines at the beginning were interesting, but they were very slow moving. And then like Dan said, I think like everyone said, the last 30 pages was pretty much the whole, the whole of the book. And I think if you, if you didn't stick with it to the end, I'm sure that would be the impression, but, um, you know, having finished it, I feel, yeah, I, I feel like it was, it was wrapped up well, but I do think that it's, it's a little, the book is a little bottom heavy in terms of explanation and plot and, and momentum. So, I mean, do you think the, 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 the story was improved by you knowing what happened based off of the spoiler cast? Yeah. 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 You you had an an idea where where it's going and like, this is going to lead to something. Yes. I, I think I would have been much more disgruntled had I not known that it was, this is where it was going. Yeah, I think they they hide a lot of the yeah. I, I think they purpose or he. I see they he, <laughs> whole, you know, kind of makes the the plot intentionally slow in the beginning um, to kind of build up to the mystery and like make the payoff even that much more. Maybe it's like a little bit uneven about like the distribution of of those payoffs. You know, like everything happens in basically one or two chapters <laughs> at the end. Do you, do you guys feel that if he actually went with a, a more conventional pacing? Do you think this book would have hit as hard or do you think you'd be, you know, whatever you'd learn about Sofans, I don't know, 60% of the way through. And then just by the end, you'd be like, uh, Sofans. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't know. Like, like I'm trying to, th- I, you know, like again, you know, understanding this is a trilogy, you know, like this book, you know, makes more sense to me. And like, you know, maybe we'll, when you kind of take in the whole trilogy, you know, the tr- trilogy as a whole, like its pacing will, you know, likely make a lot more sense and all that. But I'm also like, tr- you know, start struggling to think about like how, uh, if say this had just been like a single book, you know, I feel like you would have to like create more of a back, like more of a plot. Cause like this, this book has very little like actual like plot to it. You know, it's just a lot of like threads, you know, like and mystery building little threads until it just kind of 
all comes together at the end. But I feel like if you were going to try to like turn this into like a single volume, you know, and like you would kind of have to like stretch some of the story that, you know, like happens in near the end, like Dan said with like, say like Mike Evans or something like that. And like, you know, he would like have to be like introduced a lot earlier i think and like the sort of um i don't know like the sort of more like immediate human drama or like back and forth and like interplay of these characters like i don't know if they would just kind of like if these characters like strong enough to like sustain that kind of maybe more of a standard like pot boiler until it kind of like or a more gradual revealing of the mystery i think that's kind of what would happen have to happen if this were like a single volume you know like novel I actually think that 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 probably couldn't happen because I think the author is not interested in like somebody like like Mike Evans. Like I think Dan was mentioning, it'd be great if we saw more of Mike Evans. I think Liu Shishin actually feels contempt for Mike Evans and is not interested in him and does not want to have chapters and chapters of him. And I kind of empathize. And, and environmentalists in, in, in general. The, they, yeah, yes. yeah, I don't think he likes them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thus, they're. They're sort of like the Simpsons environmentalists, you know, the, the the kind of like, you know, am I imagining this? But wasn't there some Simpsons episode where there was somebody? You think of the, I think of the movie and an IPA? <laughs> I might be. I might. Yeah. Okay. Cut that. Yeah, at least, yeah. Yeah. He's very much uh, like a. A kind of a caricature of like an eco-terrorist type environmentalist, you know, something. Yeah. Like yeah. Cause his whole, his whole reason for not liking human race is because they don't care about the, the extinction of, you know, certain swallows or whatever other kind of, you know, uh, of animals. And so like, well, like, why does a human race have a, have, have a right to exist? Right, right, if, right. You know, all these other animals. Also, they, he, so like, yeah. Yeah. So screw the whole human race. Uh, and they, they give him an incredibly, incredibly, um, or he, he gives him an incredibly unsympathetic background where he's just, yeah, a guy who inherits guy. billions of yeah. dollars and doesn't do anything. I wouldn't necessarily want to like live in his head anymore in this book <laughs> than you do. I think like, he, I I mean, I guess my point was that he should have been more fleshed out as a character and maybe been a little bit more sympathetic, you know, and maybe had better motivation, not just been a caricature of, oh, yeah. of you know, like a crazy environmentalist, but oh, actually yeah. like a person. Yeah, for sure. You know, yeah, he could have, yeah, like he could have been, like he would have to, if he were to be introduced earlier, he would have to be like better written and like, yeah, a bit less of a caricature. Yeah, I, I guess I guess what I know about Liu Shishin makes me think that he, that's not possible. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. I mean, his his strengths seem to be around like scientific uh, concepts and like you know really high high minded and like interesting ways to kind of put scientific ideas together and have across a lot of different disciplines too. So I think that's where his strength really lies. And characterization, not so much. I, like I said before, like I think Yao Wenjie is probably the best fully formed out character of the whole series you know and, and i think she, she's a good character but all the rest you know like wang miao is the main is the quote-unquote main character of the book and like i, mean, I don't really know anything about it yeah he's, he just he just does stuff he doesn't like you know go through you know ups and downs yeah he's just the first person shooter guy doom guy except without guns yeah that's that's exactly how I felt about him. To, yeah, and that he's just like his his nano materials are a more important character to the <laughs> book than he is. Yeah, I, I was just gonna say a better format. Again, this this is a podcast uh, made by non uh, masters of literature here, but I think a better podcast for Lucy should or not better podcast, better format for him would be the short story. Actually, then he doesn't have to worry about having like an interesting character for you know 250 pages it, it could just boil down to 100 pages right you know 35 pages of that could be like interesting plot 
I think I think that works well for like some writers are really good at short stories and they they'd also be good at novels. But like somebody like uh, H.P. Lovecraft, who is a classic, not really a great writer, uh, also a racist, but uh, also interesting ideas about like aliens and um, the universe and stuff like that. That's just my, like the story like Call of Cthulhu is way better as a hundred page things than if you tried to say, hey, H.P. Lovecraft, you must make this epic. So this must be 300 pages. I, I think a lot of people would quit in like 200 pages. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of how this book, like, again, if it were a, if it were just as a single story, like this does feel a bit like a short, st- you know, something out of a, like a compendium kind of stretched, you know, a few hundred pages a bit, you know, because like the, the ending of this, you know, the sort of, uh, you know, the abrupt, like, like, you know, after the the big trisolarian chapter is like the bugs in the, you know, bugs chapter in the ruins chapter, these just kind of brief, just sort of like little, you know, woe is us, self-reflective. They feel like the kind of abrupt end of like a short, like a sci-fi short story or something like that. Yeah, if I didn't know this was like a trilogy, yeah, this would this would seem like a short story, you know, a, a good short story stretched into, you know, 400 pages. And and also before before we started this podcast, we had we had started reading um Broken Stars, which is a collection of short science fiction Chinese stories. And in there, uh, Lu Xin had one called called Moonlight. And I think the way Jim described it was it was like a Simpsons Halloween episode. So I, I think I think maybe even short stories are, you know, I, I thought the concepts were interesting. You, you explained the, the implications of a lot of different scientific inventions but also I, I don't remember there being a plot in that at all so I, I think Jim's right about what his strengths are well, I think the plot the plot for that one was what the they get he that person keeps getting calls from the future right he, saying like, he, oh the yeah the technology that that they invented and like ruined earth in some way yeah because they, they were trying to reduce pollution today and no matter which way they did it it ended up ruining the future in a different way yeah I think that's the whole you know the whole trope that like a lot of stories have where you can't you can't change the past and uh, expect it to not have like the butterfly effect and stuff like that yeah you know i, I actually enjoyed reading that though because part partly you know even though i did think it was like a simpsons halloween special but it was it was only like i don't know 40 50 pages or something and and that's that's the right amount for some like a thought experiment kind of thing like that yeah i, I totally agree so the other the other thing I wanted to bring up was, and I, I I tried looking this up, and 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 by tried I mean I spent like five minutes on it, so it was an exhaustive search. But so the Trisolarians they get this message back, and they deduce that this it, it came from four light years away, which then they decide comes from our sun, and and so on, and all this other stuff happens. But I would suspect that there are other light other stars and other star systems within four light years the other way yeah the other direction <laughs> from earth so 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 maybe they directionally knew where this was coming from but i i, I think i you know if earth got a message from from wherever from outer space i think it would be difficult to deduce that it was from this specific star in this specific location so Again, I tried doing minimal amount of research. There are um, a few other stars that are close to Alpha Centauri. Um, one is called WISE 1049-5319, and the other one is called WISE 0855-0714. 
but I couldn't tell. They're 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 closer to they're closer to Alpha Centauri than the Sun is, but I don't know exactly what that means and how exactly they decided that this crusty rock around this other star is where this message came from. Well, I don't, that, did they ever expand on whether they have? I mean, obviously we could we we can we can you know we you know we've started to detect like you know like potential like planets you know extrasolar planets and all that. Did they you know? I suppose you could just say that well this is the only one that had this is the only star that has a extrasolar planet that you know i think the thing you have to i think that this is sort of moot if you accept the thing which which is hard to accept um the the whole self-decoding message thing they they immediately self-decoded that and i imagine they read the message and it said hey we are something something about being from earth right from being around this particular star somewhere so, so they probably just read the message and it's like, oh, it must be that one. But again, yeah, the, the self decode like the explanation of the self decoding message, like depended on like people knowing like algebra and like a whole host of other made up human concepts. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there's a lot of like, I mean, and I mean that that holds true for every sci fi. So there's there's like there's a number of like logical leaps you just have to hand make or hand wave away to make your story work. Um, yeah. You know, I, and, something I thought about this uh, was that I, I think the definite, like every single sci-fi story has to eventually make some kind of leap that, that is incredulous. And the difference between hard sci-fi and, you know, regular non-hard sci-fi is hard. Hard sci-fi has to wait longer, but, but here you could see, uh, once you get to the 11 de- dimensional stuff and the sophons, there's just like a ton of stuff. And it's basically fantasy at that point, but it takes a while, right. To get there. It, it like, you know, builds on all the stuff and like, you know, follows, you know, likely scientific pathways up to a certain point, And then it just jumps off and, you know, it's no less of a cool story for that, but yeah, I mean, hard, hard science doesn't follow science all the way through the entire story in, in general. Yeah, I mean, I can't think of anything that I've read where it's like they didn't have to like make that leap, you know. Like, like usually, you know, if you want to tell a an, an interstellar story, you have to like invent some way for uh, people on different planets to like talk to, you know, talk talk to each other, you know, without, uh, you know, it taking centuries for the messages to reach each other. So, you know, they just invent some. Well, I mean, I guess you know they have a, a version of that here with the you know the quantum mechanics of the the sophons, but. Uh, you know, like that's usually the most common thing that, that that sci-fi has to like get around is instantaneous communication. And just about every like interstellar sci-fi novel I've read has some sort of like, well, this is, you know, this is how we solved interstellar communication, you know? Yeah. And I think in this case, I think he has a pretty good, uh, Louis Shishin has a pretty good sense of drama about this. And, and maybe it may be why he unleashed everything like in like the space of a few pages because if, if you spread them out, you have time to be like, eh, I don't know, kind of bullshit. And then the next thing comes along. But like, you know, thing after thing after thing, right? Okay, well, so we're going to believe in the 11-dimensional di- 11 string theory thing. So so you get past that. And then right away, it's just like, oh, well, uh, we have the ability to fold down uh, things into other dimensions. Uh, and then uh, we could go as far as make computers with them. And then there's this, uh, you know, quantum resonance thing. And then, yeah, and it just like one, like, you know, 
three lines, three sentences after the next thing, thing after thing. And it's, it's actually really exciting that way, I think. And it's kind of, it's kind of meta exciting to see the author just kind of let loose with like, you know, he's always so careful about being like, well, this is, this is backed by this scientific thing and this is backed. And then he's just like, here are all the crazy things that are inside my head <laughs> and, and here they are. And it's, it's just kind of nice to see. I thought. And, and, and I, I agree with you. And I do think the part where um, first it, first it goes into one dimension and then they, it, they goes into three dimensions. I think that was just him again, more showing off that he understands how this multidimensionality thing would work. It was, it didn't, again, it was more like uh, a Simpsons Halloween special where it was just like, Hey, look at all these freaky things that can happen until we get to the right one. Yeah. I think that the eyes thing was weird when they, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> they're like, Oh, actually it's all, there's like sentient, sentient uh, life forms on there. And we had to destroy them. And but we probably do it all the time. Yeah. We're constantly time. destroying so, things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I like that. The, the, the other thing I have to, I have to wonder about is like, and again, because he, he, um, you know, there's this drama that, and you don't want to be all picky about it, but like, how, how do these things reflect light, right? If they are, if they're the mass of a proton, right? And, uh, they don't have much gravity. So, I mean, things that don't have mass can reflect or absorb light, like, like black holes and things like that. But you take a proton and you stretch it out to cover the entire surface area of a planet and it's still able to reflect light but you know there's so much stuff going on that he, he didn't really have to yeah, explain just, that <laughs> yeah i mean yeah I, I, yeah it was such a whirlwind of what you call it it's just yeah it's just i think he's just uh trying to bowl you over with like once you get into quantum mechanics and everything like everything's just much weirder than you ever you know than, than your three-dimensional mind can can imagine and yeah i'm just going to like bull you over with how weird things actually can be yeah yeah i, I think he did a good job <laughs> things are things are pretty weird uh, the i i think the um the other thing about this is does anybody did anybody look up whether or not the 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 right term for uh reducing something to uh fewer dimensions is unfolding because he, he kept saying unfolding like 11 dimensions into two dimensions but to me, I mean, that might be just the proper scientific term for some reason. To me, wouldn't it be you'd fold things down? Like if you're going from three dimensions to two dimensions or two dimensions to one dimension, right? You have a piece of paper and you want to make it appear one dimensional, a one dimensional, you would you would fold it, not unfold it, right? Or is there some other yeah, reason I, for this? I think like if you had like a like a cube that was made out of paper and then you unfolded it into a sheet of paper, I mean, that, that's how it made sense to me. Oh, I see. I guess that 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 makes sense. That well, sort of. That that assumes things are hollow, <laughs> right? Like a, a hollow cube can be unfolded into a sheet of paper, um, but if it's filled with stuff, then it can't. Right, but if you're a four dimension, you have a four dimensional cube, and then you unfold it into three dimensions, then it would just be like the hollow sphere or ho- it may not even hollow right like there's probably like i think they've talked about that stuff inside so that's how it gets bigger and bigger and bigger well let, let, let's talk go back to two dimensions three dimensions to two dimensions right so you're saying you take a cube and you unfold it into a, you, maybe, a flat maybe, piece of paper maybe it's like maybe it's like not even hollow inside maybe you like you uh like you 
flatten it, right? You just like take like a rolling rolling pin, like move over it, like so you're sort of unfolding it. Oh, right? but like because of that, it gets like stretched like really big because like the the three dimensional cube, like if you had like a like uh-huh. Play-Doh three dimensional cube, right? You take a rolling pin, stretch it out into two dimension into flat, right? Then it gets much bigger than the original original. Uh, oh, okay. Cube. So that's that's the idea there. It's just it's yeah. more like a flattening rather than unfolding. I wonder if there's some translation thing going on there. Because, like, Maybe. flattening would be a good way to, to talk about this. But, yeah. But I guess, like, going from four dimensions to three dimensions is not really flattening. It's more unfolding. <laughs> well, 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 okay. So if you're going from two dimensions to one dimension, right? It does, does, that, does that seem like a more fitting, fitting word to say it's flattening or unfolding? Yeah, I guess flattening. I don't know. Yeah, squishing. But, but then, like, then then what's the what's the term for the 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 opposite, right? For folding, right? For for um, expanding to multiple dimensions, or to to collapsing to multiple dimensions, right? Because it's like you have a one dimensional thing, and then you go to two dimensions. Like, what does that mean? That's like you're this, this whole this it, whole conversation is just is just it. trying to like it's just illustrative of his point in, in that our stupid three dimensional brains just can't make sense. Right. Yeah, yeah and, we and, we don't have words to describe what's going on. And I don't want to. Yeah, I yeah exactly. And and I don't want to. Um, I think this is like a, a pretty cool thing that he did, but it is similar to a negative thing that cults do, where. They take you out of your depth by changing all the words for everything. So you don't really know what to say uh, and, you know, what to do or how to think. And then they could just kind of rebuild you again. So once you've taken a reader into, oh, you know, what if what if we went from four dimensions to five dimensions, five dimensions, to six dimensions, then all of a sudden they're disoriented and they're not quite sure of their way anymore. And then, then you could just like put in the sofans and all that stuff, and they'll be like, "All right, fine." <laughs> so I'll say again, without spoilers, that like dimensionality plays like a big part for the rest of the series. And there is a part where they have a three dimensional thing, and they I think they say they flatten into two dimensions, if I if I remember right. Okay. So I think because like I think maybe the the folding and unfolding is specifically for the sofan, but they do talk about flattening a three dimensional thing into two dimensions. But yeah, dimensionality is like a huge, a huge uh, uh, theme throughout the whole series. And like every time, and that's why like when I was reading this book, I was like, I was like every time they mentioned any kind of dimensionality, especially before this point, I would like highlight it and be like, oh yeah, like he's kind of setting that stuff up. So there's a lot, a lot of it. Have you, have you guys read Flatland? I did. Yeah. I actually mentioned that to Amin on, um, oh, the uh, thing? one of the spoiler okay. casts. Yeah. yeah. Cause it's, it, it's, it's great to, to think about, um, you know, it's, it's old, I think it's from the 1800s or whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's a, uh, it's, it's very interesting yeah. way to kind of think about perspectives. Yeah. This, that's sort of like, yeah, the sort of modern, modern flatland. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think flatland is actually extremely sexist. If you've uh, looked at it recently. There, I don't remember being sexist. Was it? Yeah. It was like women had fewer dimensions or, or something like that. Oh, maybe. But it was from like 1800s. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, flatland. yeah. Also, I think it would have been great if like, they accidentally um, changed the first Sofan into an eleven dimension thing and just lost it. Well, they talked about that. Remember, they they said like they, they said like yeah yeah they said don't really do that. that. Yeah, don't don't, don't, don't actually do that. Do that. <laughs> but, but yeah, that would be such a great ending. 
And then they lost it. And then yeah. Earth was saved. <laughs> yeah, see, the, the listener could have redeemed himself and accident their quotes accidentally lost it. And yeah. that way he would have he would have saved Earth after all. Also, I think it's interesting that Trisolaris does these types of I guess scientific experiments on a global level where everyone can watch it. Whereas it seems in our world, all of that stuff is very top secret military type things. And we would, we would never hear about any of that. I I think, I think it's because they have this totally totalitarian society and like, you know, what the fuck are you going to (laughs) do? You know, if, if you find out about this. Yeah. And, and, and don't, don't they burn all their old people? They burn all their old people, and I think at some point they entered a chaotic era in the middle of this, and they they dehydrated like a lot of people, or trisolarans, I guess I should say. Yeah, I actually have that that highlighted. It says most people, of course, would have lost the ability to work productively long before then. They would have been forcibly dehydrated, and the resulting dry fibers cast into the flames. Trisolarans did not keep the idol around. So yeah, they like <laughs> the, the the whole society is kind of built on the the quest to get off Trisolaris, it seems. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they figure that the old people aren't able to contribute to that, that thing and they, they burn them. So yeah, and, and that's... Yeah, they probably, yeah, they probably like really put the scientific progress, like at the forefront. So everyone like kind of knows the goal they're trying yeah. to achieve yeah, since just, they're being forced to work. Yeah. It doesn't seem like there's any real concept of necessarily of like, indiv- you know, like individuality or factionalism within the Trisolaris. So why would there be need, you know, any need for secrecy? We're all here for this one. The guy at post three nine or one three nine seven nine is particularly weird, I think, because not only is he different from them in that regard, and I guess later they just they discover there are other people who are like interested in individuality and, and stuff like that. But I think he talks about stuff that, like, he somehow knows things about Earth that seem like they wouldn't have been transmitted. Like he, I think he talks about how they have beauty and art and literature and love. Yeah, no. I mean, that's, that that was my uh, yeah. I mean, that that was one of the most confusing things about that whole like chapter and all. It is just the way it's like re, you know, like related to the reader and the film. You know, like there's just it's told through like a lot of extremely human concepts. Um, so I don't know. Like I I didn't quite get a good sense of who's actually like like through whose lens is this uh, like this info dump about the Trisolarans being like filtered through? Is somebody you know trying to like explain you know, what they said in like human terms to the reader well no, it comes from the messages so the in the in the story you know the yeah when Gia sends their first message and then she tells mike evans about like the contact and then mike evans sets up the second red coast base on the the judgment day and then they're in constant contact with the with the uh with the trisal Lairns, first via like the super super uh slow messages but then eventually the sofans are able to transmit more messages to um to evans and, and then that's why they're, then they're all stored on on Judgment Day, and they said that there's like 28 gigabytes or whatever of of messages that come from the Trisolarians. And like, well, how do they get so many that, that fast? And they're like, oh, guess what? They have this cool technology, Sofans. Sofans that that allows them to do anything. <laughs> no, yeah. I get so- that. It's just, it's just that it's just that the whole you know every you know like uh you know the whole two like info dump cha- you know chapters about the Trisolarians and about you know like even like their conversations between the princeps and the the listener and all that contain all of these extremely human you know like you know they talk about like oh this seems like a TV you know they they they, they mentioned like a TV show at one point or something yeah like that. yeah it it, like, like a Trisolarian TV. TV. 
Yeah. And it's all yeah. like, so like, I guess from the reader's perspective, like I still quite, you know, like it's, it feels like this whole, like everything that was contained in the messages, like is being filtered through some sort of like human translator or some, you know, some, you know, like, like yeah, it could be, it could be like, some, yeah, some, some Adventist on the judgment day is like transcribing the messages into a word doc, you know, <laughs> they're, they're putting into the judgment day computer. Right. And, 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 and doing they, their they best. They talk about watching some, yeah, they're trying, they're, they, they're watching some, something like, oh, a TV. I know that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it could be, I, I didn't think about that, but yeah, it, yeah, there could be some translation stuff to make it more, um, more consumable by, by humans. And like, that's the, that's other, that's the whole point of the, the three body game too, right? Is to like make, they, they take, they take to even more extreme and they say, all right, well now like you have like Newton and Einstein and whoever in like this game and like you're on, or you're in a Chinese society. And so they, they try to like really make that tries to learn relatable by conveying human concepts on it. Right. Yeah. It's just that the book, yeah, like doesn't wrap these chapters in any sort of like context as to how this is being like, who's providing this, you know, who compiled this info dump and who, you know, who is like communicating it. The, the thing you're supposed to think, I think is that it's Mike Evans. Who's, who's the one, who's, who's the one communicating. Cause like they're saying like after he was killed, he was like right there with the messages. And it's like, figure out where the messages were. And he's sort of like the central figure and all of this. So that, that was my takeaway is that he was the one that's doing all the communicating. Okay. Yeah. Or, you know, I mean, yeah, is it that? And then is this being like, you know, transmitted to, you know, or like relayed to, Wang Miao and the generals and the, you know, like as like a debriefing as to what we found, you know, in these. Uh... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that they mentioned that even at the beginning of, of the chapter saying like, this is the report. And like, I think they give it to Ye Wenjie and she's like, she's able to, to read it. And then so when she's reading it, like she's, because like she was saying like, because she was surprised they had so many messages. And we're like, well, how did you get that many messages? Like, well, we got these reports and you can read like how all that stuff happened. Um, and so, yeah, I think like people are, after they they did the the attack on on Judgment Day, they they get those stuff and like they they kind of disseminate it. Uh, I think there was also some stuff earlier in in the book where they talked about um, there was some dissatisfaction with the with the Adventists about how they they give the material out to the rest of the ETO. So I think like there's there is also um, some potential for them to uh, change or kind of emphasize stuff they want to emphasize uh, because like there, there's a conflict between them about like giving out the information and it's all controlled by the Adventists. Uh, so speaking of, uh, you know, we talked a lot about the dimensionality and, and the SOFAN stuff. So uh, I guess in the more quote unquote practical uh, scientific progress, like what did you guys think of uh, Operation Kuchung and the, the zither attack <laughs> on the, on the judgment day? Oh, it's, it's, it's definitely the, the, I mean, I think that it'll, it, for the TV show, it will be the, uh, kind of uh, <laughs> the, the big the set big, piece. Uh, yeah, big set piece flourish. Um, yeah, yeah. I thought I thought it was is very convenient that uh, you know Red Coast Base Two was on a ship <laughs> instead of just where you might think it would be. In which case, they could still do the zither attack, but you'd have to fly helicopters or something. But yeah, yeah. I mean, it's you know, it's 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 pretty uh, hard to believe that you know you'd have something this. You know, with this thin and this tense, with this level of tensile strength, that you know that it would like 
yeah. you know, cut through a, a, a ship, cut, you know, cutting. Uh, but they, I mean, they, they set it up, right? Yeah. Like they said, like really early in the in the book, they said like, oh yeah, if a car passes through it, because they chop it in half, right? right? So it's not like it's the unearned, like they talked about yeah. it. Like it's it's a big part, part of the whole book. But this is the, but yeah, this is the, this is the single most like Michael Creighton-ish type like flourish in this, in that where <laughs> it's like, and this is a common thing in all of his books, where it's like one, if one of the characters has this very like specialized, like, expertise in something or talent or something like that like at some point in the like they're 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 there just to uh like at some point in the uh you know near the <laughs> end of the, the plot like it will come into play and they will have you know they will have just the thing to you know it's check overcome this challenge check off nanomaterial yeah <laughs> or or uh yeah yeah it, it's like um i i feel like yeah you could tell how it was written uh, although this is total speculation, but you could imagine somebody working backward from this. Like, yeah, what if well, it's like, in, have, oh, it's we'll just make Wang Miao a nanomaterials guy. It's like in the Lost World. If one of the characters is a champion gymnast, at some point she will use her gymnast powers to kick the dinosaur and you know out of the fan. That's the only reason she exists. For you know, yeah, well, and, like, and I and, and kung, kung kung fu movies do a great job of that too, where somebody has some specialized skill and. Comes, yeah. comes in handy at the right time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, just like, you know, you're immune to whatever. You got poison style. Yeah, I, I think, I th- yeah, I, I thought that was fair. I, I think there's something about a, a world in which uh, the level of technology is, is a little bit beyond ours uh, and, and can produce uh, stuff like this nanomaterial, which... Um, you know, is well beyond us. Like, like we talked about it in another episode, like we can't build a car carbon nanotube. That's like longer than two meters. You would think also that other things would advance and, and maybe this would not be so easy to do. Uh, and, and, and you'd think that with the way that people, people love to weaponize stuff, it, like anytime there's something new, the first thing people think of is how can we make this to a weapon? Like this would be done earlier. But, but I think did Wang Wang is Wang Miao like is that lab in this story the only one that can produce this kind of nanomaterial? I think so. I don't know. It seemed, it seemed like like very it's, experimental it's, research, right? I, yeah, I think, very like cutting edge. Yeah, okay, but, yeah. I, I think he would. I feel like he would be. I don't know a bigger deal in in the world in social stature. What you, well, I mean, gets, not, not in the human world, right? I mean, like definitely Trisolaris knows about him, and yeah. they want to they want to get rid of that. Research, no, no, I mean, but... I mean, in the human world, right? Like, you know, if... would they? I mean, like, do we know like people? Well, he gets are... to be part of this international strike force going. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that's true. <laughs> but like, and, and the, the the other thing about this that this was one of the things that Dan didn't spoil for me in the spoiler cast because he wanted he wanted me to just experience it. So I. I I didn't know exactly what was going to happen, but like Dan, I realized they set it up really early on. And one of the things that I always wonder about these types of things were how are they actually going to do it? So they explained that if they wrap the pillars in more nanomaterial, then the pillars won't get cut and only the ship will. But then that takes me to that thing about can God create a nanomaterial so sharp that it can't cut itself <laughs> or, or or whatever. So So that part of it was a little... You know, I, I bought it just because, again, I, I think the pacing was really good in this part of it. But on, on second reflection, I was like, well, that's that's a little fishy. But I I, I thought this, this was, yeah, I thought it was a good set piece, despite all the conveniences. 
Yeah, I mean, I think this is, I mean, I think this is like, especially the one part of the book where it's just like, the author is just like, this is going to be so cool. <laughs> and he just, and just, you know, it, it, it's just like, like the idea came, you know, like probably came to him before, uh, and he's just like, I got to work this in there, into there somehow. And it will be a, yeah, it will, it will be a good, uh, scene in a TV. Well, I, you know, very good, like body horror type scene of people getting yeah. sliced into, yeah, that like originally when I came up with the the segment of how would they film this, this is what I was thinking of. <laughs> like, like how would they how would they film this specifically? Yeah, and the, like, the yeah, idea of like, like a- these sliced these like yeah uh, these like uh, like bread slices of ship just sliding off onto the. <laughs> Yeah, and and the one guy who like he gets like long me out sees it from a distance like getting sliced in half. Yeah, and, like, well everybody falls over, and then he like looks at his arms and his arms have no hands. <laughs> but that was the part where I was confused. I thought they said they were only like forty centimeters apart or something like that. It would be like more than just like a person getting cut in half. It should be like getting like vivisected into. I I think what happened was he was standing. My impression was he was standing up, and he got sliced while his hands were down. Oh, so so it sliced off the ends of his hands and then like everything below his waist. So if you imagine your wrist at your hips, like that's that's how that would happen. But but I think what Tim's saying is then so if you, if he got cut at the waist, then forty centimeters above that, his heart should have been cut in half as well. But they they also said like there was they said they had this attack has to happen during the day because like if it's at night, then the people might be laying down. So I think like they knew they didn't have enough material to make it that short of a of a span i don't remember the exact span that it was but it was like wasn't it only like seven or eight strands or something it wasn't that many i thought they said no, it, it I thought 40, they said 50 centimeters. yeah no, it said at least 40 slices of the ship so oh okay yeah so yeah they but the, the ship the ship is really tall right so yeah 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 so they so I, sliced it in a bunch of places but that guy was on the deck right so so you yeah. could imagine he got sliced by the topmost strand and then there was another one, yeah. forty centimeters below him, and then another forty centimeters below him, below that. Right, right. And like, yeah. At first, I the thing that confused me was the, I thought they were gonna do like a single sheet or something like that. But then I reread it, and it's like, oh, okay, they've, they they have several. Yeah, they sliced it into forty pieces, so, um, you know, they have at least thirty nine strands going through the thing, because it would have it would have been hilarious if they only did one. And then they didn't actually slice apart, <laughs> you know, the guys working on, you know, the um, the messages. They did it, yeah. And the the, the whole planning uh, scene for this uh, this thing is well, I finally know why you guys like uh, Dasher <laughs> so much because this is the absolute like you know like highlight of the entire book is uh, is yeah his uh, like guys you're not thinking of, yeah, of you know, like the the demonic plan. <laughs> For this kind of thing, you have to think out, outside of the box. Out of the box, you will never be as good as it <laughs> is as criminals, masters of out of the box thinking. Yeah, <laughs> seriously, some like over the top Resident Evil dialogue here, and it's uh, <laughs> yeah. I hope th- I hope they just keep this in word for word for the. Yeah. So the I mean I guess overall like you know Jim and I talked about when we first started this that the story gets wrapped up really nicely and all the mysteries are answered. So. Is there anything that was not answered for for Tim or Amin that you that you I mean like obviously there's like the stuff bigger stuff we talked about like what's the what's the continuation of of the story but like as far as like the immediate mysteries of like Wang Miao seeing the numbers I guess the countdown's never really answered but I think it's just meant meant to like freak people out yeah I thought they projected things straight onto people's retinas right 
Yeah. Yeah, but like the, the actual, like what's the counting down to? Oh, like, like, yeah. The, yeah. Like there's no like real answer. Yeah. Well, that's just part of their. Answer. Yeah. I mean, that that's just wrapped up in their uh, whole plan to like mess with people's heads with this. I think. Right. So right. That's how I. And then the the universe flickering. They answer that, and then yeah, I think that they pay off the nanomaterial research, and uh, I think they. I think that's why I was saying originally that everything kind of wraps up really nicely. Like you kind of know like how all this stuff is happening. So like, is that your experience as well? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if, I mean, again, going back to the pacing of this, like it's by nicely, you know, it wraps up very, very quickly, you know, in a big old yeah. photo. Like, again, <laughs> you know, just, just again, weird pacing problems, but yes, I guess it, it certainly did kind of wrap everything up and explain everything that it, you know, happened before. Yeah. I think, um, I think part of the reason it feels like it wraps up well is is because of the pacing in a way. It's like he delivers like a ton of answers. And like we talked about before, um, you don't have time to sit and question quite as much. Like you know, he just kind of handed them God powers with Sophons. Um, but you're like, okay. <laughs> like the other thing about Sophons is, um, you know, if you have these, why don't you just move Trisolaris to somewhere else? <laughs> yeah, well, I, mean, I, I mean, there's an infinite number of things you could do with these. Uh, I mean, again, they're like, bigger, you know. You know we yeah, talked but about. the Sophons can't really do any, like, they can't, like, interact with, like, they only can interact with stuff physically at the subatomic level. And that's why they mess with the, part- the, the particle accelerators. But I don't think, like, they could oh, do something. Wait, to wait, wait. Can't, can't they project images onto people's retinas? Yeah, but that's just by going back and forth, like on you know uh, through the light source, right? So like they they can interact with like like very low, yeah, like stuff like the like, the 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 subatomic. So like they're messing with light light particles, right? Like they can they can interact with that stuff, but like they couldn't move a planet. I don't think. Not I mean, the, there's not enough mass there for for it to do to do anything at that large scale. I I think that there's got to be something you could do if you can mess with things at a subatomic level. You could you could basically mess with very large objects like for example like messing one one example of messing with things at a subatomic level is fusion or, or fission right with like fission you could create a nuclear blast right and you know i'm, I'm not well versed in uh physics or particle physics but i feel like they should look harder for easier things to do <laughs> Uh, rather, I don't know. I mean, like, is it is it easier to do that or to? I mean, like I don't know. The, this is a very elaborate thing they're doing with with a you know a planet four light years away. Like, what if what if they used uh, expanded um, protons um, so as to create like some sort of shield that prevented you know massive damage during like chaotic areas or something like that? I. I, yeah, I feel like if you get to this level of technology or this level of scientific understanding, you could probably come up with something else that's that's probably way easier. So actually, there's a there's another movie or a book that Lewis Hishin did called The Wandering Earth, which does talk about moving a planet. Okay. <laughs> uh, so like that's that's in his wheelhouse. But uh, I think like they they talk a lot about like you know, the the sofa's not having any map. Like when the when it folds into one dimension and like all the strings fall down, they're like. Well, I can feel it, but you can't really feel it because there's no there's no mass to it. But it's like psychologically, you can feel it. So but like, but it can reflect. It talks a lot about it reflects radiation, it reflect light. Though, right? It it can reflect light, yeah. Because like when they cover the planet, 
um, when they're doing it, they do say that it it blocks out the sun, like everything's dark for, while they're doing that, right? Because like they say, like it unfolds around Trisolaris, and then they work on it, and then so that's all dark. So it can do something to reflect light, but yeah, I don't know. And, and I'm gonna I'm gonna have to pause it. If you understand the eleven dimensions, surely there's something you could do there. Right. Like maybe you can find a way through like the sixth dimension to end up somewhere else where where it's like real safe and pleasant. Yeah. We're already past like a big leap of logic in that like anything, any planet that that hostile, you know, with that hostile of an environment, you know, could even progress to that level, you know, that level of civilization. That's true. And, And maybe, yeah, maybe that's why maybe they're so they've developed a psychology that is just like so hostile as a result of anything, all that, they don't have the imagination to do that. But yeah, that, that could be true. I mean, yeah, it, it could be like, they're also just so focused singularly on getting off the planet that like, they don't even think about other ways to save the planet. They just think it's doomed. Right. And like, well, we just got to find a way to get off. It, yeah. I, yeah. Okay. Yeah. There, so it could also be right. They also have this like, you know, hundred percent totalitarian government. Right. And, and, you know, the princeps explains why, why this is and you know how you can't keep something going and uh yeah this this explanation of like this kind of government is uh you know exists in like human history too and also uh we'll link this in the show notes there's a dude who ran the game civilization 2 for 10 years and for him to keep his civilization going he had to get rid of democracy because it was too unstable and unpredictable so (laughs) yeah i read that too that's (laughs) democracy always always getting in the way obviously his like you know experiences you know and there's some threads between like chinese communism and the trisolarians i feel you know in their system of government here yeah and, and he does recognize that like you know there there is a value to individuality and stuff like that but there, yeah there's just certain situations in which you just can't have that and like yeah the trisolarians like extremely real extreme situation is is one of those and and I guess don't they also say like oh once we get to Earth like oh it'll come back we'll we'll get back to individuality like you know once we get off this planet then then, <laughs> then you could be an individual again but for now we got to deal with getting off <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm curious to see uh, like in the future books whether there's this sort of like cultural exchange of you know values or so you know because you kind of have the listener who's you know. I mean, you obviously have these very obvious analogs between uh, U and G and the uh, the listener, and that either, you know both of them are kind of in love with the, the others uh, <laughs> of um, you know society. Yeah, it's it's pretty unlucky. Like, well, I mean, like I don't know. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's lucky that like the one person who wants to destroy the human race sends the the message yeah. to a person to the, to the one person on Trisler. Yeah, it's pretty. Pretty ham. It's pretty ham fisted, <laughs> and. Uh, but anyway, like it was interesting. Like that's you know, I think it made it for interesting storytelling there. And yeah, I, like kind of turns out that Yi Wenji is kind like you know she makes the remark that she like expected that uh, well if makes makes the the point that um, oh well if they're great you know if they're uh, this advanced technologically they therefore must be this advanced like moralistically and therefore better than humans. Whereas that's a pretty dumb point of view if especially having just like lived through like the 20th century and observed what you know that (laughs) through the 19th and 20th centuries that uh that scientific progress amongst humans certainly did not you know bring with it uh necessarily better systems of morality (laughs) the um and i i think it's sort of interesting that she sort of um 
you know, as bitter as she is um, because of, you know, her like really cruel life experience, uh, she seems to feel regret at the end, you know, and, and, and is willing to say, at least to herself, well, okay, <laughs> that didn't work out. Yeah, it's definitely a, what have I done? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the, the interesting thing about the, um, the listener, right, is, um, I, wait, did we already talk about this? Like, how does he know about all these human concepts? Was that in the original message? And like, yeah, how I, could, I, I think it's, I think it's both, right? I think some of the, some of the messages like contain uh, information about earth. And then I think it also makes kind of a couple leaps of, of, uh, of understanding you know like oh like they don't have chaotic areas like it's always like it's always a stable area there and they have like oceans and like he like starts dreaming about like being on a planet with like yeah. oceans and he feels guilty about yeah, like parody. the transference coming there and like ruining it yeah, he calls right? it a like, paradise a, yeah 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 it's such a it's a such a perfect civilization like it would be you know a crime a crime to uh to, to get it destroyed by our our crappy race of the trisolarians like who are just like focused on totalitarianism so yeah like i think that's I mean, yeah, I think it's both. Though. Yeah, I mean, comparatively, it is like you know we've right. The you know, the we, other we thing... only have one. We only have one sun. Our years are the same. You know, you know, the same length every every year. Uh, <laughs> but I, th- I think I think both of them make like assumptions about the other race. Like like you were saying, like yeah, when she assumes that like they're going to be oh, the, if they have that much time to have progress, they'll be you know they'll be able to reform our society. And then the listener also thinks like, oh, because they have individuality, like they're like, you know, more like, it's a really nice society. <laughs> like we don't want to ruin it, but like, there's like, it's a, assumptions on both ends. I, I yeah, I, I still, again, uh, the theme of our impression of, you know, this is like, you know, there, there's some things that you, you just have to accept, but understanding through a series of text messages, like these concepts seems pretty far-fetched for, for someone that is just, lives in a society bent on survival. I, I can believe how he would envy, or I guess I guess they all envy, yeah, having the one son and stuff like that. Oh, so the the thing I was trying to, what I was mentioning earlier, though, is uh, I don't know if we want to talk about the whole dimension thing again, but there's there's a part where the, the science council uh, talks to the princeps and he says, Princeps, the sphere we see now is not the complete Sophon. It's only the projection of the Sophon's body onto three-dimensional space. It is, in fact, a giant in four space, and our world is like a thin three-dimensional sheet of paper. The giant stands on this sheet of paper, and we can only trace, see the trace where its feet touch the paper. Do you guys know? Do you, do you guys have an explanation for why Trisolaris is flat? Like, I mean, it's three-dimensional, but why does it exist in the other 11 dimensions the way that these protons do? I think they were thinking, they were talking about it as, you know, like like the flatland explanation of like when you're in three dimensions, you look down on the two-dimensional thing, you can see inside of it. So it looks it looks flat. I think that's how that, that's how I read it anyway. It was like just trying to uh, convey the, the ideas of dimensionality between, you know, the, the higher dimensions and lower dimensions. Not that Trisolaris is necessarily flat, but I think they like. I think intrinsically, or I don't know, maybe in, in, in that intrinsically, but like the subatomic particles are more multi-dimensional. I guess I don't know. I, I mean, know that, like, everything would exist in every dimension, dimension, right? You know, nothing. I mean, even yeah. a piece of paper exists in three dimensions. But yeah, I, I guess okay. Maybe maybe he didn't mean that literally. He was yeah. just explaining. Yeah, the I, I, 
Yeah, I took that as the same way, where if you took a four-dimensional object and projected it onto a three-dimension and outlined it, you would see, well, on a planet, I guess you would see an outline of it. But yeah, I, I didn't take that as as a literal type of thing. I think it was just him trying to, I think it was the author trying to explain a scientific concept. Yeah. A, a mathematical I've concept, watched, maybe. I've watched like a lot of YouTube videos about but there's like there's one by Carl Sagan who talks about like uh yeah dimensionality and like how like a four dimensional object you don't like you can only see it as like a as a shadow basically and like yeah you know, same as like the three dimensions the two dimensions and I think it's kind of going over the concepts of flatland too so I think it's just like really hard to describe and then you know he's trying to oh. tell this to a more general audience and like that's one of the things I'm worried about in the tv show is like are they going to get into all that stuff like how are they going to de- like depict this on like a tv show for a more quote-unquote casual you know watcher who's not going to care about like you know high high order dimensionality like how how can they like talk about it? i don't i i really don't know like how they're going to do that or if they're going to not do it and just dumb it down maybe 3d tvs are going to make a comeback maybe 11d tvs <laughs> yeah they'll be really large or they'll be really tiny in three dimensions. <laughs> yeah, I mean, hopefully it doesn't look like super cheesy and like, you know, and that it's really dumb it down for, like, I hope they give audiences credit where they could understand it if they, if they like think about it some, but it's generally not the the case for a lot of TV shows, right? They just kind of dumb it down. How, how much money is going into, into the, roughly the budget for the TV uh, show? I have no idea. Okay. I mean, like, it seems to be pretty high, right? Because it's, like, run by Benioff and Weiss. It's, you know, big. it's a big tentpole Netflix series, it, it seems like, anyway. And, like, they're really gearing it. Like, I think they're banking on that, a big Chinese audience, too. Because, like, you know, movie studios are always trying to, like, market their movies not only to U.S., but to China, too. And that's why they put a lot of, you know, Chinese stuff, you know, in, in the movies to try to, like, pander to that audience. But, like, now it's, like, we're adapting a Chinese TV series. So, like, they're probably, like, seeing, like, in their minds, like, all right, we already have a built-in audience in China for this thing. So we're going to try to market it to America too by putting, you know, Benioff and Weiss who did Game of Thrones, one of the biggest TV shows. So I would guess that there's a lot of money behind it, but I I don't know that they would disclose that either. That's just my assumption. Basically, the more money is into it, the more people they have to reach to make it back. And basically, the dumber it has to be. Like, uh, I mean... they, they might not be destructive, but they might not try very hard to explain it. They just like try to make sure it doesn't take up too much screen time. Just like fit this nerd talk into like two minutes and then move on with slicing a ship or something. Jim, are you saying that when you have more money, you have more problems? <laughs> I am saying that. So, so, so Dan, oh, a few episodes ago, we talked about um, the Chinese uh, series. Do you, I don't remember, but was there a release date on that at all? I don't think so, but there, I mean, there, there's a trailer for yeah, the, Chi- yeah. the Chinese, one of the Chinese adaptations, but it's like a behind the scenes one, but there was another effort to do a Chinese uh, uh, show a couple years ago and that ultimately failed, but it seems like there's more momentum around it this time. You know, not guys getting poisoned notwithstanding, uh, hopefully that's not going to cause any delay um, to the, to the series. But I mean, it seems like there's just like more, more effort to, to really try to get this out um, to not only American audience, but Chinese audiences as well. So I feel like, you know, you have to accept that the Trisolarans are just, just really vicious. So we already talked about why they, they use like this advanced technology to 
just go get Earth and tell them their bugs and this kind of thing instead of uh, just doing something that would probably be easier with that level of scientific understanding to survive. But I feel it was like really blatant for them to send to the Adventists like all this information, uh, like especially about the listener and all that. Do you do you feel like do you do you do you have like a plausible explanation as to why they would do this other than you know each humans? Yeah, I, I don't know. Actually, that's a good that's a good question. Like, why would the Trisilarians bother telling him about like a defector <laughs> within the the government, right? Like, I'm not sure why they would have transmitted that. Yeah, you, you figure they would just well, do like they're very unsentimental, right? They would just do whatever it would would take to slow down science and that kind of thing. There might be an explanation, um, but we're getting into spoiler territory too. Oh, so, yeah. That there's one explanation I can think of um, why they might have sent that, but I can't really say why. Damn. Well, that's a yeah. good closer so, for. Stay- Stay tuned. (laughs) And also, thank you very much to Sandra for reading the the Chinese communist message that they sent into space that we included at the beginning of this episode. Thanks, Sandra. Thanks for listening. Leave comments by emailing us at rehydrate at fastmail.com or on Twitter at rehydratepod. Please join us next time for the start of the next season where we will be reading chapters one through seven of The Long Way to a Small Angry Planet by Becky Chambers.